like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. Always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on today's live event on the importance of nutrition and exercise. I'm your host, Mary Rock. I also am the head of social and influencer programming for Providence. Nikki Straley, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in a really fun topic, gut health. So Nikki, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get started really uh, quickly here. I know, um, you know, I want to I want to hear a little bit about your role at Providence, but I feel like before we even go that far into it, we should address the fact that you have a personal connection to your work and that you actually have irritable bowel syndrome. What I think I think I read since the age of 13. So very, very early on. So I had to assume that that's part of what drove you to this field. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when I first got diagnosed when I was 13, and this was, you know, remember the mid 80s, it was really called a diagnosis of exclusion. So they looked for all the bad stuff first, uh, because my aunt had ulcerative colitis. And when they didn't find ulcerative colitis, they said, well, we think you just have IBS. So we didn't know a lot about that at that time. So tell me then, how did you get into this field? And what exactly is your role? Yeah, so I spent, well, first of all, I spent a lot of time in doctor's offices when I was a kid because it took a while to kind of get the IBS diagnosis. And I uh, also broke five bones growing up. I was really active. And so I was always in the orthopedist office. And because I spent a lot of time in medical offices, I just really was drawn to the medical field. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So when I started college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. So I spent the first couple of years in the pre-med program. And I was like, oh, it's still just not really a good fit. And so my junior year, I jumped into the nutrition program at Oregon State with uh, both feet and have never looked back. Yeah, go beefs. And so I've been a dietitian for almost 24 years now, and I, I love it so much. And I think that my personal experience really helped shape me to be a better practitioner because I feel like I know what it's like to be the patient and then the patients benefit from also me being a practitioner. Awesome. Is that in the exercise and sports science division? What what group were you in at Oregon State? Yeah, it is now. Uh, way back then, it was actually the College of Home Economics. So it was a little bit different, but now they're, they're, they're grouped in with the physiology group. Awesome. Well, you specialize a lot in nutrition and fitness, and I, I find myself wondering if, if that drove your area of study or if your area of study kind of drove your desire to be a healthy eater and a, and a fitness expert. Yeah, that's a great question. So well, exercise, you know, I mentioned I was really active when I was younger. So exercise was always important to me. But, you know, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. I don't think nutrition was as much a focus for people back then. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up with, you know, mac and cheese and jello, like a lot of people in the 70s and 80s. And, and so, you know, as I became a dietitian and I realized the impact of nutrition on the human body, it really stimulated me to want to work harder to, you know, focus on my own nutrition. And uh, my grandma just turned 99 on Tuesday. And so I, my other grandma's 92. So I was like, 
I have to pace this body. I have a long way to go. So I think making sure I get lots of good nutrition and exercise is really important. Yeah, well, go grandmas. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about about like nutrition and what makes good nutrition. Because you talked about mac and cheese and Jello. I mean, I grew yep. up on that in like the hot lunches at school, which were like the pizza yep. wedge slices or whatever. And, and one of the things that I've noticed that I've changed a lot in my adult life is I actually like I have my own garden now and I'm really big on fresh produce and even farm to table. But growing up, we ate a lot of like canned and frozen vegetables. So talk to me about the importance of kind of like fresh produce in, in your diet. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. So I actually grew up, my mom always had a, a garden too. And so I, as an adult, our family has a garden. And what I love about it is it gives us an opportunity to really have um, control over from, you know, what we plant to, you know, what we put in the ground and how we treat our plants. And so I think that, that has been a really great thing for our family. And I'm, I'm thankful that my mom set that example for me. Um, but in terms of, you know, fresh produce, um, I think most people know fruits and vegetables, you know, really contain a lot of key nutrients and vitamins and phytochemicals. And, you know, those things are important because we know people that eat more fruits and vegetables actually have less risk of cancer and uh, some of the other chronic diseases. Um, but, you know, once you've had a tomato in the summer, you know that winter tomatoes just aren't the same. So definitely <laughs> fresh insane. produce. Is, is always preferred. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that when they make uh, frozen produce, they actually take the fruits and vegetables they uh, at the peak of ripeness and that's when they freeze them. So in terms of their nutrient quality, they're very, very similar. So people often look down on, you know, frozen as being not as good as fresh, but often it's it's very equivalent. Um, canned fruits and vegetables, maybe not quite so much because a lot of times they add extra sodium, but if you have the choice um, of, you know, canned or nothing, we would definitely go with, with canned vegetables or canned fruits. Um, rinsing them is better, choosing low sodium varieties is better, but remembering that not everybody can can afford fresh produce. And so, you know, we we all need to just do the best we can to get the most fruits and vegetables, you know, that we can get. I did uh, an interview with a, another nutrition dietitian, and one of the things she pointed out that a lot of people don't know is just to make sure that if you are getting canned fruits, that it's not in syrup, right? That it's in water or right. it's in its natural juice. And in yeah. its own natural juice. Yeah. And then still give it another rinse before you eat it. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, some people say, you know, if I eat too many greens, I get indigestion or I get heartburn or we hear it from fruits too. I love fruits, but if I eat too many fruits and I get high sugar, or it impacts my diabetes. So how do fruits and vegetables really play into kind of your body's way of processing? Well, each person, first of all, has just a different body. So I know that sounds really simplistic, but I think we need to remember that, you know, uh, a fruit or a vegetable that works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other person, which is why, you know, I specialize in gut health and gut nutrition. And so while I always recommend fruits and vegetables is really healthy for your microbiome, knowing that there are going to be some people that say, you know, something like this, you know, gives me heartburn or indigestion and somebody else is going to say that makes me constipated or gives me diarrhea. And so, you know, as a registered dietitian, I like to focus on, you know, what the person can eat and really try to find the biggest variety of, of produce that they can tolerate, um, knowing that, um, you know, not every fruit vegetable works for every single person. Well, that, you know, everybody is different and everybody's tastes are really different too. So like I have a couple of friends who say it's just impossible to find a vegetable that their husband will eat or especially their kids, right? Like how do I get them in there? So what's like, what advice would you give to somebody who's just trying to start to incorporate maybe fruits and veggies into a meal? What's an easy way to do that? 
Well, I think, first of all, if you're talking about kids, getting them involved is really important. So like back when we planted our garden, we said, you know, what are we going to plant this year? And so our kids helped us choose, first of all, because knowing that if they see it from seeds or, you know, the, the little, you know, plant starters, to, you know, all the way to harvest, they're a little bit more encouraged to eat it because it's like, I planted that, I grew that. Um, so we also get something called um, Imperfect Foods. It used to be called Imperfect Produce delivered to our house. I love that. And, yes. uh, yeah, and we just have different fruits and vegetables and other produce um, delivered every week. And so they get to choose, you know, what we get. So one week we got Swiss chard and I was like, I don't even know what to do with Swiss chard. And so I found this recipe. <laughs> And now it's one of our family favorites. And we actually planted Swiss chard this year because we like it so much now. So I think, you know, maybe discussing, uh, you know, with your family, what are you willing to try? And, um, you know, always trying to get the colors of the rainbow is important. So, you know, picking a fruit that's or a vegetable that's purple or picking a fruit that's, you know, green and then picking something else that's orange, really trying to get that variety on your plate is important. I love that you mentioned the Swiss chard because I do the imperfect as well. And I kind of get that surprise me feature sometimes. Yeah. And I will get a fruit that I have no idea what it is. I've never <laughs> seen it. I've never heard of it. And I have to Google a recipe because I literally don't even, do I bake it? Do I, do I even like, sometimes I'm like, do I peel it? I have no idea. Is it cooked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, it's also funny you said that about the garden, because I find now that if I grow it from start to finish, I'm almost afraid to eat it myself. Like I, it's, like it's so, it, it, I have so much invested in it, but I'm happy to give it to my neighbors. So we switch a yes. lot. I get their strawberries, they get my, you know, my beans. So, yeah. um, yes. well, are the there some we do too, is that if we have surplus and we don't have anybody to share it with is you can share it with the local food banks, which I think is another great thing. Um, if you have, you know, when you have zucchini coming out, out your ears later in the summer, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I can only eat so much zucchini. What am I going to do with this? And it's great <laughs> when you have a place to take it. Well, that's good too, because everybody's like, we'll make zucchini bread. I'm like, if I make it, I'll eat it. And that's a lot of carbs. It's a lot of sugar and butter, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, well, you know, I think especially with COVID right now, everybody's so worried about their immune system. And, you know, nutrition plays such an important facet in our immune systems. Talk to me a little bit about what is that connection and, and how do we maintain a really good immune system when it comes to what we put in our bodies and how we exercise? Well, I think it's uh, it's hard to focus on just specific foods for the immune system because we, you know, it goes back to the fact that, you know, if you told somebody that they have to have garlic for, uh, you know, for a good immune system, and there's someone that has IBS and maybe they don't tolerate garlic, then they might feel like, oh no, my, you know, my immune system's not going to be strong because I can't tolerate this. So, you know, looking at the kind of the global picture, we know that fruits and vegetables, you know, can build a healthy microbiome. A healthy microbiome really helps support the immune system. So, if I could just choose a few, you know, key foods, I would say like, you know, peppers are really good. Uh, nuts and seeds are really good. Greens like, you know, kale and spinach um, and then citrus fruits. So I think those would be great uh, immune building uh, fruits and vegetables. Um, but but then remember that the, the goal is really five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And most people are unable to even get that many. So if we can shoot for five to nine, chances are you're going to get those important nutrients that are going to help build your immune system. How talk to me about the size of a serving. Like you say five to nine, that could sound very overwhelming to some people, but I look at like a serving of of raspberries and it's a substantial amount of them. So how how much do you actually need to get into a serving? 
Well, it really depends on if it's cooked or raw. So, you know, for some, a lot of the cooked vegetables, it's a, a half a cup serving. A lot of the raw vegetables, it's one cup. But like if you're making a salad and you're throwing a lot of different greens on it, you'd be surprised you can get, you know, to at least five really, really quickly. I think it's that when you're, you know, having a, a serving of cooked vegetables and maybe you're just having a, you know, a small portion, maybe that's only going to be one or two servings and you're really going to have to strive, you know, they call it strive for five, you know, so you're trying to get uh, a little bit more. So if I use, here's my, my plate. So if you use your, my plate, oops, there you, go. Oh, yeah. um, you know, just looking at it, you know, half of your uh, plate should actually be fruits and vegetables. So, you know, kind of gives you an idea, you know, there's some grains and proteins on there, but really having those half of your plate be fruits and vegetables is really our goal. Yeah. Well, gosh, and if you were having those five to nine servings, you wouldn't be as hungry to be filling it with other things, I wouldn't think. Right. Right. And that fiber is really important for that feeling of satiety, too. Um, and is really good, you know, going back to gut health is really good for gut health and helping with your bowels. So um, getting that fiber is important. Let's talk for carbs for just a second. Tell me our carbs. I don't understand the difference between good carbs and bad carbs. I just know that I seem to like carbs. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I don't like to label foods as good or bad. I think people yeah. kind of get into a, you know, a habit of, you know, there's, there's been kind of the craze, the the clean eating craze um, the last few years. And what I, when I talk to my, my patients, I say, you know, you know, clean eating might sound good, you know, on the front end, but what's the opposite of clean eating would be what dirty eating, you know? So, I mean, I don't like to get, you know, stuck on things being, you know, good or bad or clean or not clean, but carbohydrates, our body requires carbohydrates as fuel to function. And so carbohydrates come from fruits and vegetables. They also come from grains. Um, we would uh, prefer those grains to be whole grains. Um, but we know in some cases, people with like diabetes, for example, really need to watch their total amount of carbohydrate that they're getting in because that can really impact their blood sugar. So again, kind of going into the individuality of each person and what they're going through, um, you really need to to know that, you know, carbs are good, carbs are necessary. Um, but, you know, the difference between uh, carbohydrate coming from, uh, you know, a piece of fruit, like an apple is very different than a piece of cake. So even though our body does register carbohydrate or glucose, uh, similarly, the nutrients that come from an apple are vastly different than what you might find, you know, in a piece of pie, even though that's technically a carbohydrate it's a little bit different you're not going to find all those extra bonus nutrients you know what's interesting about what you just said is that i always think when i think about my fruits i think about the sugar level but it wasn't until i started realizing how many carbs i was getting from grapes right like that was yeah. insane yeah. to me i don't know that people really think about the carb count on fruit they're just so happy to get the fruit into their body during the day so are there fruits that are maybe better for us or um like especially from a carb perspective there's got to be um, I would say I, I would go back to that, you know, the specificity of the person, um, because, again, I teach this uh, this diet called the low FODMAP diet. And the low FODMAP diet is uh, really talking about specific carbohydrates that can cause digestive distress for people with irritable bowel syndrome. So I kind of have a little bit different picture of which fruits might be better than others, um, because, you know, fruit is fruit. But. Uh, the amount of carbohydrate can vary. I mean, if you've seen like some of those bananas that you can get from Costco, I mean, they're like huge versus the, yeah. you know, bananas that you might get, you know, at another grocery store, they're a lot smaller. And so the carbohydrate current content is much different. But would I say like, that's a bad fruit and that's a good fruit? No, I, I wouldn't label it that way. But I would say 
we would try to get more vegetables than fruit if possible. And obviously whole fruits, we would prefer rather than like fruit juice. Um, so right. those are the kind of nuances that I think are important. Well, you've mentioned IBS a couple of times and I mentioned in the beginning that you, you have it. Can you talk a little bit just high level, what is IBS and how would we know if we have it maybe? Yeah, so irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I told you that when I was diagnosed in the 80s, it was really a diagnosis of, diagnosis of exclusion, meaning they would look at, like, if it wasn't all these bad things, then they would say, yes, you have IBS. And um, another way of just saying is you have a really sensitive gut. So they do studies on people and they find out people with IBS actually register the pain in their gut differently. So, you know, if two different people, one person with IBS and one person without, eats like a big bowl of chili and it's full of beans and everybody gets gas from beans, the person with IBS actually might have the same amount of gas as someone without IBS, but they actually feel the pain more acutely and they feel that pain differently. So there are some fermentable uh, carbohydrates that are like starches and sugars. And I, I said the word earlier, it's an acronym called FODMAPs, which I could spend a lot of time talking about, but these FODMAP carbohydrates can be really hard to digest for people with IBS. And so one of the things I, I work with patients on is really determining uh, what their FODMAP sensitivities are. And so maybe they have a portion size that they need to, you know, kind of cut down on. Um, maybe a half a banana is better than a whole banana. Uh, we know some fruits like watermelon and apples and pears actually have more than one kind of FODMAP in them. So they are like double duty. So that might be a fruit that is especially tough for them to digest. So they really need small portions. So um, it's a really exciting uh, field. And so I feel like, you know, since I've been a dietitian, and all this time, it's been the biggest uh, transition is just going from saying like, you know, eat more fiber um, to saying, hey, what kind of fiber, you know, what kinds of fruits and vegetables are you eating? And and FODMAPs are not just fruits and vegetables, but also um, can be uh, wheat, rye, barley and dairy. So some other healthy foods that, you know, if you don't have IBS, you tolerate without problem. But if you have IBS, you might need to modify or limit your intake of so I think for everybody listening that we need to have a whole separate live just on the FODMAPs, but can you spell that it. for us so we can look it up? Yeah. So it's, it's an acronym and it's F O D M A P with a little S and what that stands for. And just when I tell you what the acronym stands for, it's not going to help you know what it is, but it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Is that super clear? Yeah. I, yeah, I it yeah, yeah, but it's really worth looking into. And I always recommend if someone wants to change, if someone has IBS and they want to look at changing their, their FODMAPs or modify them, that they really work with a dietitian that's been trained in the low FODMAP diet because it is pretty tricky and it's not intuitive. So uh, there's only one place in the world, it's actually in Australia, that tests for FODMAPs. And when they tested broccoli, they found out the head of the broccoli is low in FODMAP and the stem is high FODMAP. And then they tested broccolini and found out in broccolini, the head of the broccolini is high in FODMAP and the stem is low FODMAP. So it's not intuitive. It really takes someone trained to help you work with it. Absolutely. I was like, oh, I kind of get it. Oh, wait, now I don't. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> Well, we've got a couple questions coming in, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take questions from our, our uh, consumers. Let's see. The first one says, "Is it true that there are different types of foods that your body needs during different times of the year?" Hmm. 
I actually don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I would say, you know, it depends on, um, you know, if you look at uh, Ayurvedic medicine, if you look at uh, uh, Oriental medicine, a lot of times they're really, they are focused on, you know, eating the produce that's available during certain times of the year. So eating, you know, the fall fruits would be like, you know, the, the squashes and that type of thing. And then what we see in the summertime, the, the berries and those kinds of fruits are better for the body. But I haven't seen any research that says that um, specifically you should like only eat berries in the summer and not in the winter, for example. Okay. Well, we have another question that is actually interesting to me because I do intermittent fasting. So I only eat between one and eight or one and nine. This question said, is, is there any truth behind fasting? Will it help me start eating later? We've seen a lot of really interesting research on uh, fasting in the past, uh, really past couple of years. I don't think the the jury is out yet on you know who it's going to help, and I think it might come back to the individual variability because we all have a different genetic makeup. And I know that my body does not do well with fasting, but I have lots of patients and lots of uh, friends and family, and they say you know I I feel great when I do intermittent fasting, and then it kind of goes with you know what is intermittent fasting? There's a huge um, definition variability in that as well. So for some people that might be fasting 12 hours a day and other people could be 15 hours a day or 18, other people can be fasting three days a week um, or skipping right. a certain meal. So I think um, there's not a standardization yet on what intermittent fasting, look, fasting looks like, but I think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Well, it depends too on what you're eating in that, that window, right? Like if I'm eating for eight hours a day, but I'm eating complete it's not going to be as good for me as if I'm eating healthy fruits and vegetables. So absolutely. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So really, yeah. Really figuring out, you know, what, you know, it goes back to that planning, you know, what are you eating during those hours, you know, and, and getting enough, I find a lot of my, uh, a lot of my athletes specifically don't get enough protein in. And so you can only absorb certain, you know, so much protein in a meal. And so if you have shrunk that number of hours that you're eating to a shortened number, you're, it's often really hard to get the number of grams of protein or even the carbohydrates or the fats or the total calories you need during that time period. So something important to think about um, for, for athletes or active adults is can you get all the nutrients you need for the day in with that shortened time period? Right. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I had asked you earlier a little bit about, you know, the, the impact of kind of COVID on, on some of these areas. But one of the yeah. things we've been hearing from a lot of people is, a, that they have more stress during this COVID time, but B, they're having a hard time sticking to healthy foods and C, they're not working out as much, especially with gyms closed. So knowing kind of this massive impact across our overall wellness, what, what advice have you been giving people? I think it's really tough. And, you know, we, everybody lives in a different area of the country and has been impacted differently by the virus. So if you live in New York City and you're close in, you may not be able to get out and exercise as much. And if your gym is closed, that's going to make it really tough. Um, versus if you live in a you know rural area in the Midwest, maybe you have a lot of wide open space and you can go for really long walks without seeing anyone. And so I think the most important thing is to stay as active and as fit as you can. It really helps with stress management, it helps with digestion, it helps with uh, calorie burning, it helps with uh, your heart, helps with your stress level, helps you sleep. So staying active any way that you can, I think is really key. And I wouldn't say that you, you know, everybody has to do a certain kind of exercise, but pick the kind that you like and do it and do it often and plan it into your schedule because often if we don't plan into our schedule, it just doesn't happen. 
Is there kind of a, you mentioned like the five to nine surveys. Is it true that we're supposed to work out 30 minutes a day, five days a week? Like, is there kind of an optimal workout goal to get in? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't know that the Department of Health and Human Services actually recommends 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity um, per week or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity. And so I was like, uh, what does that mean? So in practical terms, if you broke that down, if you exercise, let's just say five days a week, that would be 30 minutes of moderate or 15 minutes of vigorous exercise. So that might be helpful to know. Um, and then plus strength training twice a week. So, you know, if you're in your own home, that might be, you know, lifting, you know, canned goods. It might be, you know, lifting, having your children sit on your back while you do push-ups. You know, if you don't have a weight set available or using resistance bands, those can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, I know a lot of people have gotten the Peloton bikes during COVID-19. And so those have been really popular. So indoor bike riding works. Some people like to golf. Um, but remember, you know, especially when kids uh, started to have to stay home from school, that the kids are not getting as much activity and exercise as they probably were, you know, before COVID-19. And the kids really need, you know, if you're talking, you know, kids age six to 17, the recommended 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a day, that's tough to do. And so it's like, hey kids, you know, go play in the yard. That works for so long, but really sometimes it means taking them on a walk, taking them on a bike ride, you know, picking something and just going out as a family and doing it together. Good advice. Well, we're getting more questions. And I know you work with athletes too. So this question is perfect for you because it says, are there snacks that are better for specific workouts? I bike ride and I need to take small snacks with me. What would you suggest will keep me going? Yeah, well, I think um, yeah, that could be really different for different people. So some depending on the length of the bike ride, some people, you know, first of all, if you're, you know, in the summertime, if you're sweating a lot, you need to make sure that you're replacing your electrolytes, so your sodium and your potassium. So some people um, are doing that with a drink that they can put in a water bottle and drink while they're on the bike. Um, something that's easy to digest um, for you. Uh, so that might be a half of a, you know, protein bar. It might mean uh, some people just do like a half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's a little sticky, but it works. Um, they also have race fuel that you can actually use. When I run, I use something called sport beans. They're just like little jelly belly um, beans and they've got electrolytes in them. I like to use them because I can just pick out a couple at a time. Um, they've got, you know, the, the typical goo or they have, you know, like a little packet of uh, race fuel that you could use. But uh, making sure that it's got some sodium in it is really important. Some people will do pretzels, like a handful of pretzels. So, you know, it's good to experiment and find out what works. There's not, but I don't want to say that there's a, a rule that you, you know, can only eat this or you can't eat that. Um, but working with someone who can help you who do have digestive problems while you exercise um, could be really important. Uh, we don't see it as much with biking, but we do see a lot of of digestive problems in runners specifically. Does some of that have to do, and maybe less for like avid runners, but more for like recreational, the fact that maybe we're eating too close to the time we're running? Yes, uh, uh, especially if you're sensitive, I recommend really not eating about two to three hours before you eat if, you're, if your gut's really sensitive. Some people can eat, you know, almost a full meal and go out the door and, and run and have no problem. So I, I'm not one of those, people, no. but uh, certainly there are those people out there. And if you are, that is great. Um, but, you know, like I found that I can actually do like a half of a yogurt right before I go out the door. It seems to go down subtle and, and digest pretty easily on me. But if you can't do dairy, you might need to pick something else. 
Yeah, I'm about a half a banana person an hour before anything else or more than that. And I'm on the side of the road heaving. It's not a good look for me. (laughs) Yes. And when you know you're one of those people, you're you're like, I have to be careful because, you know, now um, a lot of the the public restrooms are closed outside. So like if you're someone that's got to jump into a, you know, use a restroom on the way, it's like there aren't any restrooms out there. You might be you might be needing to be close to home. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all been there at least once in our lives. Um, well, you know, one of the things we hear from people is, and it's less now with COVID, but before we were getting a lot of, I, I can't work out because my schedule varies so much, or I travel all the time, or a lot of different kind of, I think, excuses. But for people who, they weren't really excuses, they were real valid concerns. What do you recommend for them? How do they stick with it if they can't have like a normal cycle or a normal everyday pattern? I think that often means that you have to plan it in your schedule like you would do you know, a haircut or an oil change. Um, my husband is what they call a streaker. And before you think that has anything to do with clothes, it doesn't. Um, he has been running every day since January of 2018. So for two and a half years, he's run every single wow. day. And that means everywhere. When we go on vacation, he's running. If we wow. are, you know, if he has to you know, get up early and be at, you know, a meeting at seven o'clock, he's running at five o'clock in the morning. So. I am not as committed as running every single day, but I tell you, you know, if he can do it, you can do it. It's, it, it is really hard. Um, you know, there are people That's that dedicated. will run in the airport if they need to, yeah. when they're on vacation, mm-hmm. if they're really committed to their, to their run streak. So um, I think, you know, I've heard said before, you know, you do what you want to do and you don't do what you don't want to do. So if you don't want to exercise, it's pretty easy to leave it out. But if you know, it's important um, to your life, you will put, you will squeeze it in anywhere. And, you know, we forget that our kids are are watching us and yeah. it's pretty amazing. It's a, it's a great testament, you know, for our kids to have seen, you know, my husband running every single day. And I think that they appreciate and support his commitment to exercise. And, you know, I run every other day usually, and they just know that that's just what's happening. So they're, they're just don't, you know, you don't ask, Hey, can you just not run today? It's interesting too. I think a lot of my friends growing up were runners and I was not a runner until like a couple of years ago. And I think it's because their parents ran, like they just, they saw it. It was natural. They understood it. Yeah, for sure. Good role models. Well, we're almost out of time. So I just want to open end it for you. Is there anything you want to make sure that the people uh, watching this know as it relates to the importance of nutrition and exercise? Well, I guess if I could just summarize, I would just say, you know, if you can, you know, for fruits and vegetables, Eat the rainbow. I know that's, you know, we've heard that for a long time, but I do think that that is a great thing to do. You can exercise most days. You're going to feel better and it's going to be better for you with stress and sleep. And then really just do your best every day. You know, we're all in different circumstances. It's our place to support each other. Um, Don't be critical of others. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't beat yourself up. And then because I'm a runner, I have to say, I'm going to use a couple of running metaphors. I'm going to say, just run in your own lane. So that would be my first one. And then my last one would be, remember that life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So pace yourself. Oh, that's great advice. I, especially as somebody who I've been on this kind of fitness journey for the last few years, and I get really down on myself if I miss two days. And what I need to remind myself is that it was still three days that I got right. And that I, ha- and there's always another, there's always another week. I always tell people there's tomorrow's another 24 hours. Move on. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Tomorrow's another day. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nikki, for joining us today and everyone for listening and sending in your questions. If you're looking for medical advice, please visit Providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System here on Insta- or on, on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, thank you all for joining us today.